This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Madiwa Kavaza joins us for our weekly tech wrap. He's in studio tonight unpacking the latest ITC and tech news for us. Madiwa, good evening to you. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you so much, Nandu. Well, let's get right into business. Nasdaq is having a great week in the markets. Talk to us about this. Okay, cool. So this one was an interesting one. It happened earlier this week, uh, basically in China, um, uh, where take uh, I was about to say take a lot. Mm-hmm. Where Nasdaq mm-hmm. has the the biggest piece of its investment that is Tencent. Uh, they own about twenty five percent of that business. Uh, biggest shareholder. It's the biggest gaming company in uh, in China. Biggest gaming company in the world. On the China front, I need to get clarity, but they are the biggest gaming company in the world. Um, so early in the week, people read into the, into the tea leaves uh, because there's been some huge uh, crackdowns on tech companies um, in China over the last couple of years. There were some proposals that were made in December, um, if I remember correctly, end of last year, where they were going to be limiting, you know, in-app purchases, you know, uh, the morality, you know, making you question whether or not uh, making an in-app purchase is a good decision or not. Uh, All of that stuff. And people saw, you know, all that as just a mounting of uh, more and more regulation on gaming companies. So earlier this week, the regulator in China basically took uh, those regulations off their website and people were reading into the tea leaves because there was no official word. Mm -hmm. So people literally inferred to say, you know, this means or this perhaps means that the regulations are off the table. Good news for gaming companies, good news for Tencent, good news for Process, good news for for Naspers. And then we saw share prices across the board, you know, just, uh, you know, rising once again. I must ask you, it's very, very curious to me uh, why China would try to crack down on gaming. If it's such a big part of their economy, such a lucrative business, uh, what caused them to go ahead and decide that they would at least appeal to people's consciousness about how much time and money they were spending on playing games? So there's a couple of things. Um, The main one is the fact that uh, we've seen um, the fact that uh, there's been a lot of uh, clamping down of tech companies in China over the last couple of years. I think the easy one uh, that we can uh, the easy one that we can talk to is the fact that uh, one of the most famous Chinese entrepreneurs, uh, probably even more famous than Pony Ma. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is Jack Ma yes. right? <laughs> yes. It's interesting that they both you Mars. Know, yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, so Pony Ma being the founder of Tencent and mm-hmm. Jack Ma being the founder of Alibaba, they're not related. They're not related. From what I know, they're not related. Okay. Could be uh, like Mkize or like you know. Maybe yeah. You know, maybe, <laughs> yeah yeah. Maybe there's a, <laughs> a what popular surname. <laughs> maybe there's a, maybe there's a, there's a Ma mafia somewhere yeah. <laughs> out there. But uh, Jack Ma is probably the most famous you know Chinese entrepreneur in the world. Also a billionaire. Uh, but he's been cut down to size, if we're going to be honest. And uh, part of that was uh, the ra- the wrangling in of tech companies uh, by Chinese authorities. And also, 
you know, sending a message to the private sector to say that, uh, you know, you can grow, you can have these, um, this huge international influence. But at the end of the day, don't forget that you are one of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been seeing a lot of that uh, sentiment uh, spreading. We've also seen it um, with the way that they want to uh, they want to use their tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other big example that's always given is, and we all, we often hear U.S. lawmakers making this um, making this argument mm-hmm. to say that why are we allowing TikTok to grow and be as popular as it is in places like the U.S. when in China. Is being used as a tool for education, and yet in the in the West, it's used at least it's seen, um, you know, as a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, so we do see that, um, you know, from a national point of view, the Chinese government, you know, has been doing its best, you know, to try and wrangle in what they see as unproductive behavior. Mm. And if gaming, you know, obviously gaming is a big career now. Right. But somewhere in the traditional, you know, China sense, Mm -hmm. they still see it as a as as a somewhat of something that needs to be done within certain bounds. And if, you know, limiting screen time, limiting in-app purchases, all of this stuff is going to help us to keep our youth focused then they're going to do that. I must tell you, I mean, whether I agree with it or not is, is irrelevant. I respect that so much. I respect that, you know, the Chinese government is very aware of the fact that there's certain things that are distractions. Yeah. So for instance, and it's it's really curious that if you are in China, if you're a Chinese uh, young person and you're on TikTok, you're going to be pumped with educational content yeah. when that's not what's happening here or anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Or that they would say, you guys can play your games, but we think that you should spend less. We think you should spend less time yeah. uh, on it because that's a country that is going somewhere. Mm. And so I'm saying, you know, if we want to talk about people's uh, freedoms and so on, we can certainly have that conversation. But from having a national gender agenda perspective, yeah. I am very impressed. Would you go so far as to have a national policy where you're limiting kids to one hour of gaming a night? It just depends on, I guess, where the country is, right? And what crisis level. And I guess for them, uh, they feel like they have to rein it in because they know that it can lead to many unproductive youths. Yeah. And uh, maybe if we clamped down on certain behaviors, <laughs> you, you know, you would, you would see, you'd have different outcomes with you. Only yeah, the Lord yeah. knows. We'd probably have to see a bigger sample size, you know, see how it's worked. But it, it's, it's, it's very, very, some people say, would might say it's invasive. Mm. It's too much for a government. But there's an agenda. No, no, there's definitely an agenda. And I guess from a developmental point of view and not even a developmental point of view, but just a togetherness point of view to say, as a country, this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. This is where we want to, where, where we want to be. Um, I think something does need to be said about having those f- those firm goals in mind and actually just seeing and identifying and saying, guys, that over there, that is that is not it. Maths and science, yes. you know. Let's uh, let's you know, focus on this. You know, let's 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 focus on this. Yeah. Actually, whilst we're here, mm. it's a bit of a tangent. Mm. But uh, <laughs> you saw, you saw. Did you see the Kuro story? Not yet. Tell me about it. Um, there was a there was a story that happened earlier this week with all the metric results. Oh yes, the kids who failed a big failure rate at a Kuro. Kuro. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it was only like twenty twenty or twenty five students. I can't remember. It was a small number okay. of students. Um, but there, there's something that I think we don't often talk about, and I think it's related to this, mm-hmm. right? One of the biggest differences about ri- writing National Senior Certificate in South Africa versus writing... Um, IEB. Ca- uh, not even IEB, mm-hmm. Cambridge. Okay. Right? Yes. Especially Cambridge International, um, is that when you write a Cambridge International exam, 
you're not competing against your cohort here in South Africa. Yes. You are competing against people around the world, globally. right? Mm -hmm. Globally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time that is being done on, um, you know, using a bell curve, okay. right? So but what we mean by using a bell curve means we determine the, the level of passes determined dynamically. Right, it's not static. Okay. In a lot of senses, you know that if you get fifty percent, that's a pass. Um, like universities, for example, you know, fifty to sixty percent is a C. Maybe sixty to eighty is a B, and then eighty to a hundred is an A. Mm -hmm. You know, roughly something like that. But when you're on a moving, on a sliding scale, you determine those levels with each round of yes. exams and the deviation from the, the the kind of majority. Yes. Yes. And Fortunately or unfortunately, when you're writing Cambridge International exams, you are competing against these kids in Asia. Oh, yes. Especially these kids in Asia mm -hmm. who are spending, you know, 12 to 18 hours a day learning, right? And I say, and I'm picking on Asia simply because it's been found that, you know, they have really good scores, mm -hmm. right? So um, those parts of the world where you have those crazy scores, are drag the average above, yes. right? Yes. Where you can get 55, maybe 60% and be still have failed the yeah. exam and gotten a D, yeah. right? So, you know, all of it, it just ties in. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about it the other day to be like, in one part of the world, you've got these policies. Let's limit the screen time. Let's, but it is yielding results. 100%. Yeah. And, and you know, the results also, it's why when China says they're growing at 5%, we say that's not good enough for China because China grows at 8% and 10%, you know. Mm. And in South Africa, we're fighting for 1%. Let's move <laughs> on with you. Let's not get uh, a controversial here. <laughs> Let's see what else is on our talking points this evening. Let's talk about Karoo. That's the owner of CarTrack. Yeah. Yeah, they've officially exited the second-hand vehicle. Now, which is very interesting because I thought this was a growing segment uh, globally as uh, new vehicles just become... Uh, outrageously expensive mm. and COVID driven mm. um, I remember you know chatting to the founder of uh, at the time they were still called Cartrack mm -hmm. now they're called Karoo and they noted that they were fitting in more of their trackers more of their devices into second hand vehicles and all that there was a huge boom mm -hmm. during uh, the COVID years and that led them to actually start a platform you know called uh, Kazuka, mm -hmm. which was now think we buy cars think uh, Wheels, 24, all of, you know, those uh, types of marketplaces. Uh, but at some point, they came up, um, they started rubbing up against the dealerships who were their actual customers, mm -hmm. right? Because if you think about it, right, um, they have a lot of deals in place where when someone buys a car, the, they they come in and then they install, you know, the trackers, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have... Um, out of the dealer thing, you also have deals with uh, OEMs, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, CarTrack actually has good relationships with the likes of, if I remember correctly, it should be uh, the likes of BMW, uh, where they directly have that relationship okay. with the manufacturers. And remember, manufacturers also run dealership networks, mm -hmm. all of that stuff, and have their own, um, you know, networks. So at the end of last year, uh, they did signal, you know, um, they reported Q3 earnings this this uh, 
uh, this week. But when they reported their second quarter earnings, they had said, we are going to stop this business. And now we saw the impact of that where they have, you know, entirely stopped that because um, part of the reason why they did that is simply because they were rubbing up against the dealerships and they didn't want to re, uh, ruin their relationship with the dealers. Basically, the dealers felt like they were coming in, you know, to to take up, you know, mm-hmm. some of their uh, what you call this, some of their market share. Um, I remember my colleague Nico Hos, He's the one who who he had a, he had a good way of uh, you know of describing how things uh, happen because typically dealerships typically refer their clients to car track, mm-hmm. um, which is by far their biggest business. But however, over the last 18 months, customers were increasingly choosing to sell their cars directly through Cartrax platform mm-hmm. Kazuka rather than trading them in or selling them at dealerships or via their dealerships, um, you know, advertising on Kazuka. So there was a rubbing up. People said, hey, you know, you guys are getting in on our territory. Mm-hmm. Cartrack decided, uh, Karu rather, decided that their relationship with dealerships was more, more important. important and decided it's fine. We'll get out of this business. Okay. It sounds like a, a decision that makes business sense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess the company must be doing very well for them to be able to close a whole segment based on sentiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually I actually thought about that because, you know, they, they had plowed some money into it. Um, and it was approaching that point where we're going to be now saying, okay, fine, this is now, it's now, it's now growing and all that. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but like you said, it makes perfect business, uh, business sense. And that's where they've decided to go. Let's talk multi-choice now. You know, this is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> <laughs> they have a strategy to keep prices down. That's good to hear. So there's a lot that's going on on the streaming side. We've spoken about the fact that there's a new Showmax. But the key piece now is we spoke about the fact that they've been able to reduce the price on their main, mm-hmm. you know, Showmax one, sharing. right, uh, by by cost sharing. And when we were just talking to the executives, they expanded a little bit more, you know, around what that uh, around what that cost sharing, you know, means. Because on the one hand, they've got uh, what do you call this? They've got they're sharing costs across the group. So basically, they are sharing on content, they're sharing on production, um, and all that. Because at the end of the day, these guys are fighting to get customers in the door. Mm-hmm. right? That's it. That's what is happening here. So they need to be as frugal and as efficient as possible so that they can get people to maybe switch over from one of the competitors or at least consider Showmax as something that you register for mm-hmm. and you keep uh, for the long term. So that's one side where they're sharing the costs across the group. Um, the second piece is obviously is content, right? Okay. Because there's this thing called windowing um, that MultiChoice does. Windowing is basically a show comes out on a specific channel or platform. It's share, It's shown there. And then they have a strategy around how they then start showing it on another channel and then onto okay. Showmax. And then because at the end of the day, I remember talking to one of their team members, uh, there's a, there's a lady called uh, Shirley. Mm-hmm. It should be Shirley. Uh, uh, Shirley, who heads up the general entertainment. And she was explaining that by the time that you see, let's say, a DSTV show ending up on Showmax, that show has already made back its money. 
right oh, on DSTV so much so that by the time it ends up let's say on streaming it's now earning extra, extra. revenue oh, yeah extra yeah. revenue in the same way that if it's done in the opposite way by the time it goes from Showmax onto DSTV these are just ways that they're able to Recycle generate content yeah, as well yeah mm-hmm. and make more money from the same content they would have already recouped their costs and you know they 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 keep it moving then the other piece is obviously the fact that now they've got uh, um, an investor in the name of uh, NBC, mm-hmm. you know, Universal, because obviously NBC has decided that they're going to de-risk their move into Africa by doing it through multi-choice. And they've taken on the technology cost, right? Yeah. That's a big one. Um, I remember Calvo was telling us about how um, they took on the they took on the technology cost. So it's no longer just, I, I explained this, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there's the you have to download a whole new app, etc. So that's also part of the, you know, we're trying to, you know, to take the costs off because at least if we use their technology, we are not the ones that have to go out and find these people. Yep. That's the one thing he explained. He was like, guys, engineers are expensive mm-hmm. because a lot of the development for multi-choice happens in Prague, oh, right, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Europe. So you're looking at, uh, at Euros. Um, I think the last time I looked in the market, senior developers, you can easily be doing 200,000 to 300,000 euros, Mm -hmm. depending on the company that you're working Mm -hmm. for. And if you, let's say you have a team of 100, you know, of these people, yeah, your your costs, you know, quickly ramp up. So it, it is an interesting one. And then the third layer. Um, we're starting to see it uh, rolling out. This week, MultiChoice announced their partnership with MTN, mm-hmm. where MTN partners will be able to get reduced rates um, depending on which bundle they've uh, bought for Showmax. They'll be able to get reduced data rates you know, through MTN, right? And we anticipate that we're going to hear the same from Vodacom, you know, because last week all they said is, we're working with mobile operators and it's like, guys, how many are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, there's only four of these guys. Yes. So yes. if you it's start, one of them. yeah, it's it's either one of them or it's all of them. Yeah. So this week, MTN brought out its deals, and they look like they're specifically for MTN people. So we're expecting that we'll see them doing the same thing with the other operators. And at the end of the day, once again, trying to reduce prices, trying to reduce data costs because you need people to come through the door. Very interesting. I mean, of course, the first telcos to think of going to streaming was Celsius. And recently, when I spoke to George Mendes, I asked him about yeah. it. And look, it's not on the cards for now, uh, you know, and he's, it was before his time and he made that perfectly clear. With you. But to be honest, yeah. Celsius got here first. Yeah. No, yeah. no. So it, we have to acknowledge, yes, Celsius Black was, uh, was ahead of its time. Yeah. They could see where the world was going. And I guess they were, they were we've spoken about using telco distribution for fintech, mm-hmm. insurance, lending, you know, all of these things that people are bundling on top. Uh, but I think in South Africa, people still need to figure that thing out, mm-hmm. you know, of how do you effectively do it. Uh, Telcom at some point was uh, was the one that actually built the SABC's uh, mm-hmm. streaming platform. Mm-hmm. Um, what you call it? SABC Plus. Yes. Right. Um, and it's a natural partnership, right? You get a state of you get the state broadcaster and the state affiliated uh, telecoms, you know, network. Bring them together, you know. Let's let's stream, you know, uh, SABC content, which is very popular, uh, you know. So it it makes perfect sense. I just don't think South C because I, I I've heard that South C lost about a billion rand. Mm. 
And sure. in the in the universe <coughs> of Celsi, that's a that's a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? In the universe of Telcom, it's slightly less money. In the universe of Vodacom, less money. MTN, less money. But <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but for Celsi, it's a big piece it's of the pie. Big piece of the pie. Yeah. Let's move on. I want to speak about Netflix. Hmm. Netflix released their quarterly and yeah quarterly figures yeah. there adding 13 million new subscribers during the fourth quarter alone. Do you know why I'm angry, Mudua? It mm. means that when they came and they cracked down on the password thing, it worked. Yes. It worked, Mudua. Yes. And we were like, we were, we will see how far they'll go. <laughs> well, far. <laughs> no, no, no. It seems to have been working. So we're eating, we're eating our words. Yes. Um, Multitrace, uh, you know, has been, has, has banged on about the fact that they were one of the first in the world mm-hmm. uh, to do this uh, limiting thing. And they believed in exactly the same thesis um, as well. One of the reasons why I was interested in this is because I heard you talking about it the other day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. This is this is clearly important. Yeah. Uh but also for me, I see some I see some dotted lines to this discussion we're having about Showmax. Okay. And the reason I'm uh I'm having that is because there's a couple of things going on with Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Firstly, we've got the password sharing thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is the fact that the streaming bubble that happened during COVID, I think it's safe to say that it's popped. Okay. Disney, um, Disney is struggling when it comes to when it comes to streaming. Yeah, the app is also very shoddy. Yes, yes. but you know, to be fair, <laughs> mm-hmm. the app that we get for Disney here in this part of the world is not the same as the one that they use. Um, in the United States. Hashtag noted. <laughs> <laughs> There's a platform called Hotstar, mm-hmm. uh, which is used in this part of the world. Lots of people complain about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen better stability now, but I remember when I first uh, got onto Disney, uh, Disney Plus, it used to do random things like the app would just crash, mm-hmm. right? And you, you wouldn't even have like... Um, Usually on the streaming service you have a watch bar. Yes. Right. There's it would no just yeah, to yes. just erase that thing and you'd have to start your show from scratch. From scratch, which is like in the world of streaming, these are the basics. These are literally well, the basics. These are not the complex it's things. It's UX, it's the basic thing. Yeah, it's yeah. the basic thing. So I am here with you mm-hmm. on the on the Disney mm-hmm. front. So Disney's been struggling with its streaming. Um lots of people came into because remember in a in any industry, any market, you have an innovator, mm-hmm. they grow, people notice, people want to get in, you have more competition, more players. Eventually, those more players don't all survive. Then you have a collapsing of an industry mm-hmm. and then consolidation happens. And I honestly think that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And I think Netflix is uh, is proof of that. And the consolidation is not an obvious because usually when we think of consolidation, we think, oh, mergers, acquisitions. yeah, mergers, acquisitions. But um, here, there is, I think there's going to be some element of mergers and acquisitions, um, which is happening through the deals that are being signed. I think what we're seeing with multi-choice is, 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 is a bit more on that front where they're signing the deals, making sure they've got partnerships with everyone. That's that. But w- where Netflix finds itself is once upon a time, Netflix was the one-stop place where you could find um, streaming content from everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then everyone decided we want to get in. They pulled all their content onto their own platforms. Now we're seeing, you know, the content coming back to Netflix, right? 
Um, and what's worse is as the streaming businesses from a legacy player like a Disney, like a Hulu and all of these others, you know, start to collapse it puts more pressure on their linear TV content, mm -hmm. right? Which is why we're starting to see more deals like the ones that we're seeing in television broadcast mm -hmm. with the streaming providers. Mm. So, for example, I think... Um, there's uh, I think there's NFL that's now happening on Peacock. I think there was a big deal around. I'm trying to remember. Um, is it football? Is it baseball? That's now on uh, on YouTube TV. Mm. Like there's all these uh, you know things that are happening, and the content is now coming in at a cheaper rate because these guys you know need to make their money back. Mm -hmm. So now we so now Netflix because Netflix had cash is now buying up the content you know once again and we're starting to see more of the outside third party content coming back you know to netflix so it's round and round we go yeah round and round we go but it's interesting because you know uh, with, with netflix and I, I was gonna ask you this also that of course the first thing netflix did was uh the first kid on the block that helps uh but also ux perfect so the app mm -hmm. works super super well um and just really becoming a household name when we speak about netflix and chill we're not necessarily watching netflix mm. <laughs> just watching a movie it's watching uh, something on your screen yeah. but i think what's also important here is to find that even when people were battling uh, with um some sort of subscription fatigue is what we were calling it yeah. is that they've gone on they've tried other things and they've just come back here yeah which is very interesting it's with crazy, you. Yeah. It is, and I'm wondering what it is about Netflix because it's not always the quality of the content no. per se, but is it because it's just it's first kid on the blocks and a household name? So the brand uh, Netflix also uh, has a lot of equity. I think I'm gonna answer your question in three ways. Mm. Firstly, when it comes to part, the other element of their subscriber growth, <laughs> this one I would not take, but people are taking it. Apparently, they've started a lower tier. Mm -hmm. an advertise an advertised backed tier right um and that seems to be winning them you know some place in the market secondly when it comes to retaining people i think what netflix has more than any other platform i think they have the best recommendation engine mm -hmm. right because when you go onto a streaming platform the biggest thing that we all struggle with is you open whatever platform it is it could be Amazon, Showmax, you know, Hulu, Netflix, whatever it is. The biggest thing we all struggle with is what do I watch? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the paradox of choice. You've got all this stuff, right? The shop is open and you can get anything because you've paid, you know, to access everything in the shop. But what do you or what do you access? Right? Netflix is good at, you know, having little helpers that come and say, Hey, no, Lutando, don't you want to watch this? Right? <laughs> That's fair. Right? They're really good at that. Mm -hmm. Other platforms are also good at recommending. I think YouTube's algorithm is, is, is perfect, you know, when it comes to its recommendation engine. But when it comes to movies and TV shows, Netflix is on another level. Interesting because what you talk about has data and uh, AI and all yeah. the things, the yeah. predictive stuff in the background that happens, Amadea, which is, I think, an interesting dynamic of where we might see uh, the streaming uh, go. Uh, but just before we move on, and maybe we, before we even wrap, we know Netflix will survive and will make it. Show Max look like it's going to be a real thing. Do you think we'll see to have Disney Plus as an app in about a year or two? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I think they're going to, I think we're going to see a disintegration of Disney Plus. What I'm waiting to see is how they're going to 
distributed out, right? And I say that simply because ESPN has its own streaming platform. Um, I think Hulu has its own streaming platform. So what do they do with all the stuff that's there? Stars has its own streaming platform. So I see those things, you know, remaining, you know, at least we already have a use case of that stuff mm-hmm. being separate. Now the question is for like stuff like Marvel content, etc. Are they just going to parcel it out and just sell off the rights as they did back in the day? Mm. You know, or does it become like a special section on Hulu or, you know, do they find a way, you know, to hold on to it? I see them, you know, throwing it back out into the market, you know, where they can generate money from a Netflix, from a Showmax and all that. But as an app, I don't think it's going to stay as is. Before we move on or we wrap up, one more thing I must ask you. We've seen MultiChoice really go through this um, transition. Yeah. It's been an expensive transition. Mm. Um, it required them first sulking and then really coming up to compete. <laughs> and really yeah. competing, um, it's very formidable how they've managed to bounce back and put together an offering that I think uh, is worth my money even, yeah. right? The SABC is the people's broadcaster, but it's important to know that the world of broadcast is changing. Yes. And television broadcast is also changing. And we yes. know that we have SABC+. Plus. Do we expect it to be able to compete with this? Like by, by virtue of it being a state-owned, uh, backed you know, product, we don't expect it to try to compete on that scale. Interesting question. And uh, the reason I say interesting is because on the spectrum, e-media seems to be doing well. Mm-hmm. When it comes to both um, Open View and also, you know, VOD, mm-hmm. they do no subscriptions. It's all ad backed. They figured that thing out. SABC has the benefit of adverts, ad- adverts, and also having a blesser that is the government. <laughs> blesser, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Where I think things are going wrong is that they still have a lot of legacy infrastructure that they need to take care of. Ooh, sounds like a telecom thing, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of aerials, a lot of dishes. You know, the bunny ears. You know, a lot of analog. And I think it's also one of the reasons why people wanted to push digital migration. It was going to help to bring down the cost for Centec. You know, and, you know, those types of operators and for, you know, an SABC to support their operations. So I think they have a lot of legacy, you know, that that is that is in their systems that takes a lot of money to keep going. And unfortunately, there's a there's a whole swath of the South African economy that's still whether it's radio, mm-hmm. whether it's TV, that still relies on that type of thing. I mean, if you were to go into the deep rurals, I don't think anyone is uh, streaming live radio, mm-hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. They've got their old analog radio mm-hmm. and they've got the aerial mm-hmm. and they're listening, you know, to whatever radio station. That stuff takes a lot of money to, and those are the types of costs that you can see that. Multi-choice is fighting to bring down, mm-hmm. right? They're running in parallel right now. They've got the satellite. They've got the streaming. But you can see that over time, they will be trying to get more and more people to streaming because ultimately the cost base. I mean, guys, there's satellites in the sky mm-hmm. that Multi-choice has to keep going. Just right? because of you, you and your dish. That's <laughs> yeah, because of us and our dishes. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? yeah. So things like that, I think they, they, they definitely bring up the cost and unfortunately unlike a multi-choice multi-choice has paying customers mm, right mm. 22 million households across africa right but the sabc despite having the biggest radio station in 
Africa. And besides having the great, the biggest TV watching audiences, it still hasn't translated, you know, from a revenue point of view. Oh, well, that's it. Everyone should pay their TV license, help the SABC. <laughs> Thank you so much, Madhua, uh, for being with us uh, this evening. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.